The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwabzi Weber. Schwabzi, happy spring training start day! Happy spring training start day to you. This is the best day of the year. I've got games on in the background while we record. I'm distracted. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I just got a string of notifications for home runs from Casey Schmidt, Blake Sabal. Tyler Tolbert, uh, whoever this Garrett Mitchell guy is, just it's spring training. This is it. We're this pl- is beautiful. We're playing all the hits. Uh, nice little, nice little uh, hint at what we're going to be talking about today. Mentioning Garrett Mitchell, by the way, because this is our first positional preview episode of the off season. Yes, it's going to be post three hundred outfielders for twenty twenty three that we're going to be talking about. Really excited to get to that. Uh, first, let's do the the usual business up top at the top of the show. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast twitter account you can follow us there at in the deep pl you can also follow schwebzy and i individually on twitter for schwebzy that's going to be s-h-w-e-b-s-i and then you can follow me at bun singles and as always if you enjoy the show leave us a review on your platform of choice spotify apple stitcher so on so forth uh schwebzy so far uh did did the mets lose earlier today they did they did in fact lose. We're, we're off to a roaring start it's not officially baseball season until I'm upset about the Mets. So this is good. True. They they gave I mean, up. Well, at least. So at least they're not the Atlanta Braves who today lost the first ever game on an automatically called strike from the pitch clock with the bases loaded. It's a spring training. Game. It doesn't mean much of anything. I get that. But also couldn't happen to a better team. I, I know how you feel about this. Obviously, this will make our friends uh, Kay and. <laughs> josh and chris all very happy but uh it's I, I feel like most of the players so far have adjusted pretty well to the pitch clock i think i've only seen like two or three violations so far in the few games that i've caught in spring training um do you think it's going to be an issue no i i think that the players are going to adjust relatively quickly i mean anyone who played yeah. in the minor leagues last year is already going to have been adjusted to it it's it's not going to take long. I say I remember someone. Uh, it was a uh, oh Eno Saris did a did an interview with Stephen Vote on a recent episode of Rates and Barrels, and 
uh, vote had played in a rehab assignment in the minors last year for a little bit. So he got to experience it before becoming a coach. And I think his kind of general feelings on it was he wasn't super like super a big fan of it by any means, but it seemed like all the younger guys had adjusted pretty quickly to the new rules. So I am kind of in the same boat as you that everyone's going to kind of, after a couple weeks of doing this, especially if only, in spring training, if only there was a series of meaningless games before the real games that the players could use to acclimate Shrubsy. you're in luck because <laughs> we've got exactly that uh so yeah it's, it's spring training time it's time for wild speculation on how swing changes plate approach adjustments and best shape of his life news are going to affect the performance of different players throughout the year uh cough cough joey gallo and jared kelnick making swing changes uh death taxes jared kelnick making swing changes um we're operating with about about as much information as y'all are right now. Uh, we're taking into account, obviously, a lot of like last year's performances, also position battles, things like that, as we're doing our analysis of players early in the season here. And we're going to do our best to point you guys in the direction of what we think are the best values post 300 this year in the outfield position and every other position moving forward. So, Schwabzi, do you want to kick it off here? Yeah, sure. I, I like that intro because we do have just as little information as everybody else. We are just at a at a dumb, dumber part of the Dunning Kruger curve, so we, <laughs> yes. we we're more confident in our in our not knowing anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So th- this is the outfielder episode. Uh, actually, uh, when I was planning this out, uh, I was going to do this was we were going to lead off with the starting pitcher episode because I feel like that has like the most value to get out of the way early, like during draft season. True. Yeah. But then I realized last year we did the starting pitcher episode very early and we didn't have any spring training to go off of really and i did not like how that went because we didn't have any you know early things to analyze in pitchers spring training starts so i want i wanted to push the spring train the the starting pitcher episode back a little bit so we're starting with outfielders this year i actually like that a lot because i feel like with pitchers there's stuff to look at both well i mean from a myriad of standpoints like you talk about like release points, like do they drop their arm slot a little bit? Did did they add a new pitch that they're working on in spring training? Anything like that? Like that stuff's really notable and uh, obviously much easier to identify when we have actual game data to review. So I do like that a lot more personally. Um, and also with injuries and things like that, early in spring training, already we've heard about like how folks like Ozzy Albies uh, had a cleanup surgery on his shoulder, things like that. You have Aaron Ashby who was pretty highly sought after as like a breakout candidate this year turns out during the offseason he's been having shoulder issues in the ramp up to spring training so having especially with pitchers starting pitchers i think having a better picture of what like the composition of competitors for starting rotation spots is going to look like is going to be really 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 important so i do actually like doing the outfielders first yeah, uh, we actually got outbid in the podcast league that we joined with with a yes, bunch of notable podcasters. We got outbid on Ashby by DVR. So take that, Classic. DVR. You've activated our trap card. Uh, which double Yu-Gi-Oh vibes. Yeah. Our, uh, Aaron Ashby's shoulder is our trap card. Uh, but yeah, so uh, our, why don't we, uh, let, let, let's get started with some analysis. Yeah, we're actually, we're we're late with delivering this episode because... We're so like we haven't done a deep dive in I don't know seven months. 
and we were like it's been a while we were like because the off season we don't do the same kind of analysis that we do during the season so prepping for this episode we forgot how long it takes us to like analyze these players and like got my i i wind up i wind up like writing so much about these players jordan was telling me that i should like just turn it into an article but yeah he's the man who is like so adamant about not being a baseball writer i refuse writing articles and i would say like you wrote about your first guy you probably wrote i can probably figure it out actually i think if i highlight it it'll tell me how many words you wrote about this man just in notes alone instead of writing an article i shall simply write write an article and then speak it aloud you are getting the audiobook version of my articles that would exist if I felt like writing. It's got to be at least 400 words on his it first is. deep dive. Yeah. So so let, let, let's get into it. Yeah, let's hop into it. Let's start talking about Max Kepler here, Schwabzi. That's your first outfielder you want to talk about. ADP, I don't know what his ADP was, actually. We don't have it marked here. Uh, He was in the 350 plus range. I want to say about 370. I actually have it here. Cool. Just scroll, 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 scroll. He is at 368 last time I looked. There and the range that I'm using, uh, the the parameters that I've been using for my ADP is draft champions leagues starting on January 1st. Because uh, after January 1st, there weren't too many more roster moves. So, that yeah, that's just the, the criteria I've been using for ADP. Everyone does it a little bit differently. That's, that's what I did. So, yeah, uh, th- about 370. And... Uh, this is un- un- every now and then I'll do a deep dive on a player and find out that I don't like them as much as I was hoping to. This was unfortunately one of those times. Uh, so in the past, Kepler is someone that I've generally been out on. And last year, that would have been a great call because he had a pretty rough 2022. But with the general state of outfield and his current price, I'm kind of back in. Kepler is one of those guys who's like a perpetual sleeper and breakout candidate, but in his career, he's rarely rewarded like that label, that tag, and people who have kept the faith have not really been rewarded. He had a monster power breakout in 2019, like a lot of players did with the super bounce ball. Uh, we, we were talking about this before. The Minnesota Twins hit about a million home runs that year, like as a team. Like 305 or something like that? It, it was a silly number. 2019 was a yeah. silly year. But besides that season, he's never cleared 20 home runs, and he's never hit over 243. So why do I like him? Uh, I feel pretty confident that we're never getting anything close to 2019 again. I Just no way. Uh, but we are only one year removed from him hitting 19 home runs with 10 steals in only 121 games. And can he do that again? Absolutely. Is that worth a pick in like the 350 range? Absolutely. Is there upside for more than that? Absolutely. Am I saying absolutely too much? Perhaps. Uh, there, there's a really easy explanation for why Kepler underwhelmed this past season, and it's because, like the rent, the fly balls were too damn high. <laughs> fly balls can have wildly different results depending on things like spray angle, launch angle, exit velo, etc. Some of the things that you can do to guarantee that your fly balls have bad results is to hit them really high and not pull them ever. And well, Kepler did a whole lot of both of those bad things. He only pulled 21% of his fly balls and he had an overall launch angle of 40% on 
on fly balls, which is the third steepest average among batters, the third highest launch angle among batters who saw at least a thousand pitches. Now, this part is just speculation by me, but it seems like to me that the change to the baseballs that the league made would be particularly harmful for someone like Kepler, who hits a lot of fly balls, but doesn't hit them super hard. He hits them pretty hard, but not super hard. And at a steep launch angle, you tend to lose a a good number of feet on fly balls of that nature with the different ball. And normally with a profile like this, I would say, well, simply pull the ball more, Max Kepler. But unfortunately in 2022, pulling his fly balls wasn't particularly helpful either. League-wide, pulled fly balls have a 479 batting average and an 883 WOBA because that's where the home runs happen. Pulled fly balls are like the most frequent type of ball that go over the fence. Kepler, on the other hand, when he pulled his fly balls, he only hit 353 with a 661 WOBA, which sounds really good, but in a league-wide context, it's terrible. Yeah. On top of that, only five of his 17 fly ball, pulled fly balls went for home runs. Like From a rate perspective, he was 223rd in baseball at turning his pulled fly balls into home runs. Again, not great. Yet another thing going against Kepler is that he plays in maybe the worst ballpark slash division possible for his batted ball profile. Expected home runs shows him hitting double-digit home runs in all but four ballparks, and his home field is the worst one on that list. And then second and third are division rivals, where he will have to play 12 games this year at uh, Kauffman Stadium and uh, Comerica Park. So the, yeah, he has to play 93 games at some of the worst possible stadiums for his batted ball output. Not ideal. And I've spent a lot of time on the negatives here because this isn't just a pick that you can blindly make with, con- with, with confidence and, you know, reach and hammer this pick in every draft. You, you don't want to do that. I don't, I don't think he's a sure thing by any means. And like I said, he's one of those players that I, I thought I would wind up liking more than I did. But it's not all doom and gloom. There is still upside here. We always preach our three Ps. Or we, we, argue, we argue about this, actually. For me, it's the three Ps. For Jordan, it's the three Os. Yeah, it's offense, opportunity, and order, which is like the offensive composition uh, that they're in, uh, how often they're getting opportunities, so plate appearances, then the order. Like, where in the order are they actually batting? And for me, it's plate appearances, production, and potential, which, uh, yeah, I'm just I trying to... I think both are good. I'm I just think both to... are good, personally. I... I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just want to test my pop filter a lot, really. Um, but yeah, I think in Kepler's case, the plate appearances are basically guaranteed. He's the sixth highest paid player on the team. He's, a, he's got, you know, veteran status. He's always hitting in the middle of the lineup when he plays. The, and he's got elite defense on his side to, you know, keep him in the lineup, keep him on the field. As far as the production, like I said last year, wasn't great. But it's a new year, so we're all about potential. And Kepler has all the ingredients needed to turn back into a good fantasy asset. Like, if you look at his Savant page, there's a lot of red there. And as I just explained, 
all of that red can be misleading to, and you know you have to dig a little deeper to get the real picture of a player but that red does not mean nothing those red numbers haven't resulted in great production but they're signs of things that kepler does well they're signs of things that he's doing right he makes great contact he makes well sorry he he makes contact at a great rate it's not necessarily good contact but he makes good swing decisions and he's got borderline elite max exit velo. He's got great raw power. There isn't a lot that has to go right for Kepler to go from a, a, a mid player to someone who's, you know, a genuine asset to your team. There's not a lot that has to go right for him to hit 25 home runs or hit 250 plus. And you never know. He's a frequent topic of trade conversation. And all he's got left after this year is a club option. So maybe he winds up in a better ballpark fit. Maybe he winds up with a Toronto or a, you know, a, a Yankee team, which, you know, would be, would be great for him, even if he doesn't pull the ball all that much. Uh, one thing that I, <laughs> if I hadn't already said so much about him, I, I would touch more on the shift going away. I don't think it's going to help him that much. His production with and without the shift has changed pretty wildly from year to year so it's hard to say what's going to happen now he's actually similar to his teammate jorge polanco where they seem to do pretty different things from year to year so it's really it's, it's a little hard to get a handle on them and hard to project them because like who knows who knows what they're going to do differently this year he's a little bit of a mystery wrapped in an enigma but i i think there's enough of a playing time floor here and enough of a potential enough of a ceiling to make it worth a pick as like a fifth outfielder or a bench bat yeah i hear that and like i I feel like you touching on the point that he might get traded at some point i feel like he's a very very good trade candidate um you have folks like trevor larnock and alex kirilov both younger bats there that i mean at some point there might be some stress for playing time in that regard uh Kirilov obviously having a lot of like I believe wrist issues mm-hmm. last year and getting more like he had I think he had a surgery actually in the offseason to help like re- like shave something down or like remove something uh in his wrist to hopefully prevent uh those repeated wrist issues um yeah their and, corner their corner situation is a little crowded because yeah. they do have Miranda and Kirilov you know def- definitely taking up those corners in the infield and then they have Gallo and Kepler in the outfield. So, you know, if Larnock comes up and starts pressing for playing time, then, you know, we, we start to have a little bit of a roster crunch. Exactly. So I think that he's a really good trade candidate. I think if he does get traded, I mean, like you, uh, like you said, pretty much like 26 of the places that he could go yeah. are going to be upgrades for him. So if that does happen, I think he gets a nice little bump. Uh, I do like this pick a lot. Um, and like you said, two year or i guess yeah two years now removed from being almost a 20 and 10 guy is super duper valuable so i like that a lot here um, yeah, that, that was 2021 yeah it wasn't even that exactly. long ago super crazy uh yeah I, you know what you sold me a little bit more max kepler i was kind of like iffy on him because i think we talked about him being like a big beneficiary of the shift or at least on the surface potentially and the way i'm feeling now is after even just like seeing a single day's worth of games i'm just like I don't think we're going to really understand what the effects of that are going to be until we're well into the season. Yeah. And if nothing else at all, 
like something to take away from the the five ten minute long spiel i just went on is that don't look at baseball savant don't look at those sliders and think you have the entire picture of a player because every new thing that i looked at gave me something new to talk about or think about with kepler like you got to dig deeper can't just look at those sliders yeah i mean they're nice for a nice little snapshot but you need it's part of a larger collage that you have to build to actually get a good idea of what's going on with the player um yeah yeah he's a good test case for a lot of different things because if you just look at expected stats you would think oh kepler's kepler's due for a breakout his x stats were so much higher than his regular stats but yeah there's a reason for that it's because the batted balls that he hit are the kind that you know don't fall for hits Exactly. And are are like very impacted by spray angle. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Is there anyone else like trapped in Minnesota right now? That there's a Tra- chance that they would leave? trapped. Uh, I don't know. Unless you consider I'm like Miguel Sano any- trapped. Oh, well, he's not even on that team anymore, is he? Is Sano gone? Is he- I don't. Even- I thought he was like relegated Sano- to the minors. I thought he got DFA'd and then he got or got released and then he was never signed anywhere. Yeah, I think what this means is that wrong, though. I think what this means is that there isn't really anybody that fits that criteria. I don't think there's anyone knocking that doesn't have an opportunity. Sano had a workout for scouts February seventh, but has not been signed. Uh, there will be a roster crunch there once Royce Lewis is healthy. That will be a that will True. be like I mean, it maybe maybe Buxton gets hurt for the umpteenth time and it freeze up a spot and things get less complicated again but as of right now uh there there is a, a pretty solid player in every lineup spot all right uh i'm gonna move on to my first outfield that, that i want to talk about and it's very funny because i wrote about this one and then i tried writing about another outfielder turns out that i had my filters wrong on nfbc and they were not <laughs> past pick 300 so then the one that i actually started writing about uh another one then I bailed on hit a home run today. The second outfielder that I'm going to talk about today hit a home run. And now uh, this first person that I'm going to talk about has now hit two home runs on the first day of spring training. And that is Garrett Mitchell for the Brewers. He's lying. He just keeps on seeing who hits home runs and picking them to write about. It's like just, I had just been combing the home run feed. Like, trying like to pick which players I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Like Brick Tamlin in Anchorman. I love Garrett Mitchell. He hit the most home runs. The absolute cheapest way to do things. That's me. But yeah, so Garrett Mitchell just squeaked into our threshold. He was like right at pick 300. Uh, He's going into the season as the strong side platoon bat in center field for the Brewers. He's like a really prime example of defense earning you playing time. He's just like far and away the most talented defender in the Brewers outfield and probably on the Brewers team, I would argue. Um, And he's the only one that's really fully capable of roaming center field without any concerns due to just like his amazing speed. And he's got just an amazing arm as well. Uh, the speed is the thing that really, really interested me in Gar- with Garrett Mitchell. Uh, in just 68 plate appearances last year, he had eight stolen bases on eight attempts, so he just was never caught. And of note, he's only been caught three times in 45 attempts in his entire professional career, which is a very good conversion rate. Um, by like most major projection systems this year, Mitchell is projected for about 400 or so plate appearances. And while it would be fun to use that. 2022 pace and project him for an average north of 300 again with like 47 stolen bases he had a 41.2 percent strikeout rate last year and that's just that that ain't it that that doesn't fly that's not gonna that's not gonna 
carry a 311 average probably and this is largely the reason why his xba was 187 despite him hitting 311 last year uh amber is the color of your energy that said (laughs) whoa uh that said i do think that it is current adp though he's probably my favorite late round stolen base target i think there's reason for optimism despite that massive k rate that he carried last year he had a really really small sample size of 34 batted balls last year uh and when looking at that sample size it's not quite enough to technically stabilize it stabilizes usually around like mid 40 ish batted balls um but when it comes to average exit velocity he put up an average ev of 92.9 and the ceiling on his power isn't necessarily the greatest like his max ev from last year was sub 110 um but that's the same average exit velocity as like matt olson byron buxton and shohei otani from last year which is like elite company and that's really really incredible considering he never cleared 110 a single time and if you look at like where his balls are bucketed when he hits his balls into play most of them are in like the 90 to 105 range like that's where the the meaty part of the bell curve is when it comes to his batted ball data so it's really encouraging that even though he doesn't hit the ball at an elite exit velocity he does hit it very hard very often um the downside here, aside from that strikeout rate, though, is that his MLB sample in terms of batted ball type varied wildly from every other level that he played at in 2022. So, like, between AA and AAA, his ground ball rate was around, like, 59% between the two levels, whereas his ground ball rate in the small sample in the big leagues was just 39.4. So he dropped his ground ball rate by, like, 20%, which is maybe not the most sustainable thing. Uh, that said... Some cause for optimism on the opposite side of that is that his launch angle tightness did look good based on the data that we saw last year in the big leagues. Uh, Unfortunately, doing my digging, I wasn't able to find like a clear change that he made in whether it was approach or maybe a swing change, anything like that, that led to this change in batted ball profile. So until I can dig a bit bit deeper, I'm just going to kind of expect that there's going to be a little bit of regression back to the norm closer to that like 50 plus percent ground ball rate um all in all i think he lines up well to be like a really solid batting average contributor uh closer to like 260 270 ish than 300 probably uh with the upside of a bunch of stolen bases i'd say like probably 30 if he gets the playing time that he's projected to get and enough pop to squeak into double digit homers but as i say that today in the first game of spring training he did hit two home runs so I don't know. Uh, Obviously, I can't get too excited about a single game. But it's encouraging, to say the least. We were were going back and forth about Mitchell last night because uh, Jordan was talking about his expected batting average being so low compared to his actual batting average. And we were just talking about, like, the, the nature of expected batting average and X stats in general and like their relationship with strikeout rates, which, you know, we, we mentioned before Mitchell's is really bad. And I was, I was, I was mathing and, and going through why his expected stats are so low. And, uh, some of our friends were there. And as soon as he hit his two home runs today, one of our buddies DM may take, take that in your expected batting average and smoke it. So that's, <laughs> I love what I love when karma just hits you back immediately. I do get very stupidly lucky like this a lot, I will say. It just happens to happen like that. I, I don't know why. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, double digit home runs and 30 plus stolen bases with like a solid average at pick 300. Sign me up. I will say he he doesn't chase a ton, which is yeah, n- a nice thing for, you know, future strikeouts. The issue is that pit- pitchers throw him in the zone a lot. Lots of swing and miss in the zone. 57 contact rate is very low. Yeah, 57% of the pitches he saw were in the zone. That is a stupid high rate. Yeah. So so pitchers are challenging him right now. So uh, maybe, you know, realizing that he can adjust and and start targeting specific pitches that he knows are going to be in the zone. And well, you know, we'll, it, it's going to be an interesting year for him. I like it because stolen bases are really hard to come by in the late rounds this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's probably going to be pop-up guys like last year like McCarthy and Bubba Thompson. But as of right now, they're they're a little hard to come by. So I, I do like Mitchell as a uh, stolen base play. Yep. All right. Okay. We're going to take a quick little break here for an ad. And then after that, we're going to get to our next two players. All right. And we are back. Schwebzy, let's get to your second player here. Someone that's going to make Ellen Adair quite happy. Will, will it still? I by by pro uh, yes I, I think so i think i think ellen still wishes this particular player well yeah will will their fandom sur- survive the trip from philly to detroit but, i think so so we're we're talking about matt veerling or as, as ellen has coined matt veerling uh matt exit velocity veerling uh I can't put my finger on exactly why, but suddenly on January 7th, I stopped irrationally hating Matt Beerling. I could not tell you why. I, I, I don't know. I got nothing. It's, it's, it's because it's my birthday and that's what I wish for. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're not supposed to tell people what you wish for. I hate him again. Aw. Uh, wow. No. He's no longer a Philly who I do tend to, uh, I do tend to irrationally hate like Phillies, Braves and Nationals and whatnot, but I try not to let that cloud my uh, fantasy analysis. Uh, it's <laughs> unsuccessfully sometimes. It's gonna <laughs> say. <laughs> uh, we know how that goes. Anyways, <laughs> it's very it's very annoying from a fantasy perspective that this incredibly toolsy player has moved from Citizens Bank Ballpark to Comerica to get his opportunity. Uh, Comerica Ballpark, Comerica Park is a notably pitcher friendly ballpark. Uh, fun fact per Baseball Savant. Comerica has literally been the worst ballpark in baseball for home runs over the last three years, while Philly is fifth. Comerica is usually pretty good for non-dinger home uh, extra base hits, but we don't really care about doubles and triples too much in fantasy. Uh, 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 that's just one of those fun, little fun facts that you can use to well actually your friends when they're talking about stats and stuff, when they're like, Comerica stinks for offense. Well, it's, it's good for triples, actually. Lo- love a good uh, Comerica triple. So, right, buddy, I don't play in a points league. I, I triples are a category in my league. Sorry, Matt Veerling about to take off in those triples leagues. Uh, so let's start with the bad with Veerling. Uh, there are definitely reasons to be anti Matt Veerling, mainly because he's ostensibly a power bat, but he doesn't hit for a lot of power, or it hasn't to this point. Uh, he does frequently put a charge into the ball but it's almost always to center field or or right center and you you can still perform poorly with good launch angles and good exit velos if your spray distribution is bad this kind of you know goes back to what i was talking about with kepler like you can 
hit the right types of balls and still perform poorly if you're hitting the, those balls to the wrong part of the ballpark. So if Veerling does exactly what he did last year again, that would be bad. because, And he would be bad because he's now playing in an even worse ballpark for power and his previous approach was not, did not really work for, for power production. Playing time and lineup spot his will they they might still salvage his fantasy season but for him to be legitimately good and someone that you want to roster instead of someone that you're just resigned to rostering because he gets some counting stats some growth would have to occur the good news is that there are some very real skills here again this is another player like kepler who has a pretty red baseball savant page but it's kind of misleading the good thing is that there are some very obvious areas for growth. And yeah, the ballpark situation is bad, but it's not as bad as it first appears because, as, you know, as I said, for the last three years, it's been the worst ballpark in baseball for home runs. But they've moved the fences in. Center field has been moved in. I, I, it was 10 or 12 feet. They lowered the right center field fence from I think it was 13 feet to 7 feet, there was just a, a massive wall in right center field in a part of the ballpark that was already deep. So the Tigers have made it easier to hit home runs in the places where Matt Veerling hits the most fly balls. So you can see the, the, you can see the gears turning. The, the Tigers geared their entire offseason strategy around Matt Veerling and making Matt Veerling better. <laughs> Insert, Tell me insert, I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> insert uncut gems. This is how I win. <laughs> I mean, here. Uh, Just. But. Oh. <laughs> uh, it, make, it makes sense. It, it, it makes sense logically. He's wearing a uh, tinfoil hat. <laughs> uh, uh, so, I'm getting so, static from that tinfoil hat, actually. Can you take that off quick? I will not. You can't make me. Uh, <laughs> secondly. Uh, or thirdly, who's keeping track, really? It's not, uh, Jordan has to edit this. I'll make him edit that correctly. Uh, I'm not. Not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going not gonna to edit that. Uh, the Tigers are notoriously bad at the, the whole having good outfielders thing. Like, we were looking through this yesterday, and I think the last, like, good outfielder they had, except for, like, one, like, half a good season from Akil Badu, was, like, Nick Castellanos. Yeah, like, pretty much that they have not they have really not had good outfielders the last handful of years we're hoping that changes with you know the the debut of riley green last year and his continued growth this year but matt veerling should have every chance to succeed uh, they traded away last year's mandatory all-star gregory soto to acquire him so uh, you have to assume that they have you know some some high hopes for him Ruster Resource currently has Veerling slotted in as the fourth outfielder, which is a little discouraging, but Akil Badu is slotted in ahead of him, and he's interesting, but possibly not very good. Sorry, Scott Chu. And Kerry Carpenter is slotted in as the DH, and he I, I he was very good in the minors and good in his debut, but honestly, uh, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, I have not done enough research into Kerry Carpenter to say whether I have any faith in him or not. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say that he's going to get benched for Veerling's sake, just to make a point. Uh, thirdly or fourthly or fifthly, again, who's keeping track? 
uh, as I said earlier, Matt Veerling has some real legitimate skills. He's got all that red on his savant page, and like Kepler, it means there are things that he does right. He has a, a, an above-average contact rate. Uh, he hits the ball hard frequently. And uh, he's among the fastest players in the league, too. So similar to... Again, I, I feel like I've just talked about the same player twice. Similar to Kepler and his 10 stolen bases a year ago, Veerling absolutely has the speed to get you 10 to 15 stolen bases in a full season. And he's got better plate, spil- plate skills than you'd think. Generally, when I when I hear about really toolsy players like you know Sam Hilliard or Matt Veerling, I I expect them to have bad plate discipline because you know loud tools and good plate discipline don't go together that often. But uh, Veerling has better plate skills than you would think based on the rest of his profile. Uh, and looking at his walk rate, you would say he has bad plate discipline. But the things that go into like taking pitches and not chasing and whatnot like they're better than his walk rate would suggest so maybe there's some obp upside here that he has not displayed yet but to uh to summarize everything uh i i think there's a solid enough power speed floor here to matter as a fifth outfielder and there are a handful of different things that could change to make him much more interesting and Again, circling back to Kepler, he's similar to Kepler, Polanco, and like Akil Badu, where if a time traveler came back and told me just about anything about Matt Veerling, I would believe it. Like, if you told me that he went 25-25, I would believe it. Like, yeah, that's in the realm of possibilities. Did his walk rate spike and he hit 275? Sure, yeah, whatever, I believe it. There are a lot of potential interesting outcomes here, and there are enough counting stats and opportunity for plate appearances to matter which i think makes him a great play at nearly pick 500 uh, i think it was like 470 when i looked there are at least a couple of dozen outfielders being drafted ahead of him that i'd rather take veerling over like don't go crazy and draft him at like 300 but after pick 400 when you're looking at like fourth outfielders and oakland athletics uh veerling is among my favorites Love it. Yeah, I think the tools are absolutely there. Like you said, the speed, that was something that surprised me is I didn't expect his sprint speed to be as high as it was. So he's more yeah. tooled up than I expected him to be. Um, obviously yeah, with guys is. like that. I mean, this is the same thing that we talk about, like Brandon Nimmo too, is like, when is he going to start stealing a bunch of bases? Right. Also pretty fast. Um, just doesn't really ever steal that many bases. Um, I do think Veerling will steal more than Nimmo as much as it hurts me to say. Oh, board bet. Is that, do is that you, gonna, you, is that are you, are you gonna are, are you gonna take the Nimmo side of things? I, I might. I might. Woof. I don't know. I love a free board bet. Sure. Free board bet. Yeah, I'm taking the Nimmo side. Nimmo steals more bags than uh, Veerling this year. Put it on the board that we will forget about probably tomorrow. Yes. Love it. Yeah, we're not. We're at, by the by the end of the season. We're not going to recall that this actually happened, but at, it's fine. At, every year at this time of year, we we talk about having board bets, and we put maybe one or two together, and then we just completely drop the thread every single time. It's every single time b- being twice. Uh, every much single like time. everything else we do, it's simply a bit at this point. <laughs> the exact sense. The existence of the people. board is a bit. <laughs> oh God uh oh i have to talk about a second outfielder don't i <laughs> this was a tough one for you uh, 
this was a tough one for me because I started writing about someone because I, like I said earlier in the show, messed up my filters and start like I wrote like a good paragraph and a half on someone. When you say messed up your filters, you mean you just straight up did not apply filters. I did apply the filter. I think I clicked it and it didn't like refresh or like didn't update the page. And then I clicked it again and it did update the page. Mm-hmm. So I remember putting the I, I remember changing all the filters and pressing submit. And then it took me back to like the normal part of the page on the NFBC thing. And then it was like, oh, yeah, there's thousands of picks here, not just like. The past couple of weeks worth of picks or whatever um, user error yeah i it's probably on me <laughs> i tried to make it not about me but it was absolutely me uh so i just went with brendan donovan here um kind of a boring pick but one that i do like a lot if you're looking for like a really really solid floor this late in a draft uh and this one does go to our good pal yancey Eaton, who we had on ex- episode 69 last w- episode uh, he's the, he was like the foremost Brendan Donovan advocate in our ears last year. And it feels like Donovan is destined for yet another productive fantasy season in 2023. Um, the multi-position eligibility with Donovan is just so sexy when it comes right down to it. Like in NFBC leagues, he is both second base and third base and outfield eligible, which means that he can go into five different positions on your team. Six if you count util. Uh, and in auto new and Yahoo leagues, he also has first base and shortstop eligibility. Literally plays everywhere except for catcher, which is super duper valuable. We love a guy who can get it done in multiple positions. <laughs> oh God! Well, I'm gonna leave that in. Uh, Made sure to get it done while you were coughing. No, I'm, I'm keeping. I'm editing it so that's in there. <laughs> He's never going to really provide you elite pop or speed, but as an accumulator, I think he's really an excellent asset at this point in the draft. So standard 5x5 leagues obviously don't directly care about on-base percentage, right? It's not like one of the stats that gets calculated, but a high on-base percentage means more opportunities for runs scored, and Donovan carried an elite 398 OBP last year in his MLB debut thanks to a healthy nearly 13% walk rate at 12.8%. This would have put him right between Juan Soto and Jose Altuve at 7th in the league if he had qualified in OBP, which is crazy to think about. That's like incredible numbers for a rookie. Um, The average also was just really solid, sitting at 281, and that's right in line with what his minor league numbers were in both 2021 and 22 before being called up. So I don't really think it's a fluke or anything like that. Um, The only truly big knock that I have on Donovan, and honestly it's not even that big of a knock, is that he's likely to be hitting out of the nine spot for most of the season for the Cardinals, despite the fact that he has elite on-base skills. Um, If he was on a different team, he would very likely be a leadoff hitter with a chance to score 90-plus runs over a full season, but because his lineup spot limits the number of plate appearances he's going to accrue over a full season, it dents his value a bit and pushes him into the range that allows us to even talk about him, really. Um... It's also funny because as I was prepping the notes for Brendan Donovan, he also hit a home run. So I'm just going to take all of this as a universal sign that I should get every single share of Brendan Donovan and Garrett Mitchell that I can. Did did he Brendan Donovan? Donovan? Dong? Donovan? <laughs> did he hit a Donovan? It's, it sounds so bad. Uh, yes, he did. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like that floor that he provides at that point in a draft. I don't know if there's anyone else post 300 that is going to give you that much safety and security with what they're going to provide for your team. I feel like everything else is like very playing time dependent or like 
we need to see like an actual like change in approach to see improvements or to have folks produce in the way that we want them to. Um, Donovan's just kind of good. And he plays everywhere. Yeah, I he feels like the Cardinals Jeff McNeil to me. And it hurts me because I love my yeah. Jeff McNeil and I don't want the Cardinals to have one. Well, he's better because he's third base eligible too. Really? Yeah, from a fantasy perspective, sure, yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to take one more quick ad break here and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Cardinals outfield situation and then do some quick hits in terms of category contributors post-pick 300 in the outfield. All right, we're back. So, Shrubsy, when we were taking notes, well, when I was taking notes on Brendan Donovan, it was just kind of like a very obvious thing for us to do where right around pick 300, you get Brendan Donovan right around like 305. And then like within 30 picks, you have him, you have uh, Juan Yepes, and then you have Dylan Carlson all right there in a grouping together, basically. And it's interesting because they offer a lot of different things for fantasy squads. Do you have a preference on any of these players in particular? Oh man, Carlson is just so fine. He's so okay. He's yeah, he's so he he he's of like of all the outfielders in baseball, he's definitely one of them. <laughs> uh and he's like he he'll do some good things over the course of the year, but from a fantasy perspective, he just does not do anything exciting. It's like it's really appropriate that he gets around two war per year because he's just fine. He's like a replacement player, I think, as far as center fielders go. Um, so between the other two guys, from a skills perspective and from a potential perspective, I I love Yepes. I think Yepes has the better bat uh, of the three. Uh, but and it all comes down to power. He's the only one of the three that has like a significant. Uh, pa- uh, you know, has significant juice in his bat. I don't like to like make a definitive. This guy will be better when it comes down to just when when it's like just a position battle like this because, like we we have no idea how this playing time battle is going to break down. No. Like Carl, like any any one of these guys could have a bad two weeks and lose a ton of playing time. Any one of these guys could have a scorching spring training and get all the plate appearances in April. Uh, but from a skills perspective, I, I like Yepes's bat the most. So if I'm if I'm going for upside, if I'm going, you know, if I'm swinging for the fences, I'm getting the guy that can actually swing for the fences. But if it's an OBP league, and if I'm if I want like that glue guy that can play anywhere and stabilize batting average or OBP, uh, then I, I I like Donovan. I think Donovan is the best yeah. baseball player of the bunch. Yeah, and th- that will likely lead to him getting the most playing time of the bunch. But, I mean, I just don't think he contributes anything from a speed or power perspective. With the one caveat being that he did steal 20, uh, 19 bases in the minor leagues in 2021. And maybe the new rules help him get back to running a little bit more. Maybe. Uh, if that like if he could steal fifteen bags, I would have a much different view on him. Yeah. I, I would I would say he would be, he would jump to my favorite uh, on the list because I I love a guy with good play discipline, and uh, I mean, yeah, he's exactly the kind of player that I would lo- like love to have on my team as a stabilizer for for average while also contributing in some steals. He'd basically he would he'd be Stephen Kwan. He'd be a less heralded Stephen Kwan if he stole like fifteen or twenty bags. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good comp, actually. Um, 
I'm pr- like, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you here, right? Like, I mean, I think that Carlson, due to the fact that he's like the person who's going to be playing center field for them, is going to accumulate. He's going to be hitting near the bottom of the order. Like, the bat's not amazing by any means. Um, I think that Donovan obviously talked a bunch about him already. Um, you know why I like him at this point. We're kind of on the same page with that as well. Donovan, so the, the best way that I can summarize this is Donovan is the type of person that will keep you in the running in your league and isn't going to hurt you. But if Juan Yepes pops and gets the number of plate appearances necessary to make an impact, he could win your league. It's like that sort of impact. Like, like that power is hard to come by that late in the draft. So I'm, I, 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 th- I think that it's Yepes for me if I'm choosing between like all three of them, if I want to like really go for it and like take a risk, if I'm going for obviously like the safety, like high floor play, I'm taking um, Brendan Donovan a hundred percent of the time though. So, but yeah, kind of, I, I don't know. Miss me with Dylan Carlson. Not that excited about him. He's, he's just, I, I, to, to use one of your words, he's just mid. Well, I wouldn't say, th- I don't want to say bad things or like, it's not a bad thing from he's, from he's a fantasy fun. perspective from a real life baseball perspective good defender solid defenders also i did read an article about him while doing research and he's been having like eye issues a lot of like dry eye blurry vision and stuff like that he's worn corrective contact lenses for a while and he's trying out different things like like essentially like prescription like sports glasses things like that um Man, that, that to happened to, out. didn't that happen to fam too what is going on in the in the st louis outfield i don't know a lot, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys across the league getting like corrective eye surgery too, trying to make sure they they can actually see. I think a lot of it is like dry eye stuff for uh, just, Carlson too, because like they're talking about using eye drops regularly as well. Just everyone's blinded by by Yadier Molina's greatness, staring in from the outfield. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, so we should see an improvement from the, uh, the <laughs> Cardinals yeah. outfielders eye problems. That'll be it. That's, Maybe, that's, if, that's there's one, if there's one, if there's one takeaway from the podcast, back. one takeaway from this podcast: buy St. Louis <laughs> outfielders. No more vision problems. <laughs> won't be blinded by Yadier yeah, Molina's Hall of Fame case. Oh God! All right. So uh, another you want you actually brought this up. I surprisingly I was the one who brought this up. You wanted to talk about another Brewers outfielder trio or another outfielder trio from the Brewers in this case, and that's a bunch of young guys. One of them that I talked about, obviously Garrett Mitchell, but then two more young guys. Uh, Joey Weimer and Sal Freelich. Um, yep, we've already had three, like like one really fun thing from each of them in the you know in the short uh, spring training season that we've had so far. We got some tweets of of a uh, busted car window in the uh, parking lot of the Brewers uh, uh, spring training ballpark with a, a, and the culprit. The smasher of said window was, uh, uh, I guess, a South Relic bomb. Yes. And he's not notably known for his home run power, so that's a, that's a fun little thing for him. And uh, you mentioned that Garrett Mitchell hit two home runs all re- in, yes. in his first spring training game. And who was on base for that first one? Joey Weimer, who had hit a single and then stolen second. And, so, he also, and he, he's also scored two runs today because the other at-bat, he... Uh, Really, like, these were close pitches, too. Showed really, really, a really, really good eye at the plate. That's the thing with Weimer is that I think a lot of people think that he strikes out a ton because he, it, it's mostly just, and well, it's honestly, it's just because he's got, like, he used to have a very loud, wild swing. His 
like pitch recognition and like I at the plate are borderline elite. Yeah, what made Weimer kind of blow up on prospect lists was when he quieted down his swing. It used to have a lot of moving parts. It was a pretty complex yeah. swing. Uh, so he quieted down some parts of it. There was a huge leg kick that he got rid of. And that's when he started making some better contact and rocketing up prospect lists. So yeah, Mitchell, who, went two for, Mitchell went two two for three today with two homers and four RBIs. Weimer went one for one with a walk and a, and two runs scored and a stolen base. Uh, Freelich went, I think, just zero for one with a or no, he went um, yeah, he went zero for one with a walk, I believe. Bust, get him out of here. I'm I'm done with Freelich. Uh, no, I I I actually uh was on an episode of on the wire earlier this season and where I had to give comps to last year's breakouts or interesting players. And I had to give, I had to guess who this year's Michael Harris would be. And I said, I don't know because no one ever does what Michael Harris did last year, really. But I said, if there is one, they'll come from the Brewers. I think it would be one of these guys. If there is a, a wild breakout rookie uh, outfielder, uh, which one? I don't know, but I do know they all have the skill sets to have just incredible years if everything breaks right. Uh, who who's your favorite between the three, Jordan? Mitchell, Mitchell Weimer, w- Mitchell Weimer, Freelich in that order. So, what does that come down to? Is it proximity, skills, projected uh, playing I time? I like. I like. So so with uh, Mitchell, I think that it's really obviously I've talked about him at length already on this podcast. I'm not going to like dive any deeper into like what I like about him particularly. Um, I think that the power is there. I think that the launch angle tightness that you find in his batted ball profile is really encouraging, obviously. Um, I would also say that when it comes to Weimer, the reason why I like him second most is that I think the combination of yes, the strikeout rates can be a little bit high. But I think the eye at the plate plus the power upside for him and the stolen base upside, like he's he's tooled up like crazy. Like his arm is incredible too. He might have the, he might have had the best arms in the minors, the best arm in the minors last year, according to a lot of scouts. Um, I think defensively, like maybe his pass to the ball aren't necessarily the best, but like he'll get he'll be a corner outfielder who can probably be. I think he's got like all star upside. Um. Freelich, less of a power bat. I think he's just more of like, like when it comes to fantasy, more like milk toast, kind of like boring, like steady contributor, but not that exciting. Uh, and I think when it comes to prospects specifically, I'd rather like lean into the ones that have like the louder tools and are a little bit more exciting in that regard. So, yeah, that's why I would choose them in that order. I don't think I have anything interesting to say about these guys that you have not already covered. Um, you know, if we're talking redraft and just this year, I think you're yeah. right on the money because when you're talking about redraft, you are talking about playing time and proximity. And that's basically the order you have them in, even if it's not all for the, you know, the, the proximity and playing time reason. I do think that we you, you could see a really fun second half run from Frelick. Um. I, I Frelick gives me like mini Christian Yelich vibes. Like we have a Christian Yelich at home, and it's it's Frelick. Uh, so his, I, I, his ADP right now, 
I'm, I'm, I just did a quick search for all leagues. Uh, Freelix is five. Let's see. Where's he at? 556. Yeah, so he's purely a spec pick or like a draft and hold kind of pick. Joey Weimer is at 737. That's interesting. I don't agree with that. M- me neither. Particularly. Um, I think that Weimer is the more exciting player, personally. And I think that. I also think he'd be the first one up of the two. Oh, you know what's crazy? Joey Weimer is 737. Jackson Churio is at 739. That's just silly. He's not going to see the majors this year. That's, I mean, I guess there's the possibility. But he's like, not going to, because it's not even that he's far away. It's that he's far away and he would have to leapfrog like three other major prospects. Also down there, Christian Pache, Paven Smith, Darren Ruff. Who you got this year, Chorio or Darren Ruff? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, neither. Remember a year ago when we were high on Darren Ruff? I think that there's a world in which Darren Ruff succeeds. My least favorite part of the Mets quote-unquote collapse last year was Darren Ruff completely turning into a pumpkin the second he got to Queens. Yeah. That hurt my, that, that hurt, that hurt my heart. That, that hurt me as a fantasy analyst. Just hurt all around. (sighs) Big sad. Big sag. But. Yeah. All right. But yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's the order that I would put those three in those. I would say that it's uh, Mitchell, Weimer, then Freelick. Um, and like, Co- this is this is this is a a what if if like Tyrone Taylor can't hold it down and maintain like his spot. Like obviously Mitchell's going to be already playing. I think that's why he's the best of the bunch already because he's going to get like four hundred plus plate appearances this year as long as he stays healthy. I think more so the question is between Weimer and Freelich, which one of those two is going to come up and take reps from any of the outfielders that are currently present in Milwaukee. And I think, it, to me, I think it's going to be Weimer. But honestly, I wouldn't mind either of them. I'm excited for you that you have this, uh, this trio of young, exciting outfielders. It's really awesome to be excited about prospects. I feel like... In recent history, Brewers prospects have not been particularly highly touted. Um, and uh, it's just it's just nice to actually be excited about it. I mean, obviously we we have a uh, we have Jackson Churio as well, but it's really good that you don't have like uh, I don't know like a Hunter Renfro blocking their way. Yeah, you mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you you mean you mean we have Mike Trout at home? I was uh, I, I, like I knew that they both kind of looked alike, but I was very blown away. Archer Farms, Mike Trout, si- by <laughs> by the side by side photos that they took of Trout and Renfro from like Picture Day for the for the Angels. Kirkland Farms, like how, Mike Trout. Like it's like it's like the eyes look the same. Like the way that their smiles are cocked. Like like. They're like offset to one side, look the same. Like it's very uncanny how like they actually mm-hmm. look. It's very funny. I think they're just um, gonna have Mike Trout put on a uh, Renfro's uniform so he can bat twice each time through the lineup. Do you think that if they were twins, they would have tried to switch classrooms to see if the teachers noticed when they were kids? It's like the parent trap, except cheating in baseball. 
I was trying to think of a fun parent trap uh, pun to say that was baseball related, but I didn't get it. Um, all right, Trozy, let's do some quick hits. Just rattle off some names that we like for different uh, category contributors uh, in different categories. So for like average in OBP, I threw down Brandon Donovan again, just as a reiteration. And then I also put uh, Mark Canna in OBP only leagues. Canna is a very, I, I think, underrated fantasy asset because he's in there. Well, I, that, this might change this year, but he's generally in there every day. He's good for, he'll, he'll pile up enough runs in RBI to matter. He's in a good lineup. Love him as a run slash RBI guy, a little, little bit of both. Um, other than those two guys, I think uh, maybe an un, unheralded source of RBI this year. Oh, sorry. Oh, God, we're talking about batting average. Uh, just, just ignore me. Uh, I think a, a good batting average guy this year that absolutely no one is talking about is Harold Ramirez. I love Harold yeah. Ramirez. I, I had Harold Ramirez on a bunch of teams last year. He's one of those guys, and he's on the same team as as Yandy Diaz. He's like Yandy Diaz in that we're all just begging this man just just to simply hit the ball in the air, but he still provides things of value even when he's not hitting the ball in the air. And I, you know, as long as he's playing, he'll be a a real nice little batting average anchor for you. Love that. Okay, how about home runs? I had uh, I, I threw down um, Adam Duvall. From the Red Sox, obviously. Uh, not really going to be blocked by anyone. Jaron Duran, I don't think, is going to challenge him that much, at least early in the season. I think Duval. it's pretty much Duval's job to lose, considering he signed like a $7.5 million contract uh, in the offseason with the uh, Red Sox. Uh, I also threw down Avi Garcia, who dealt with a lot of like injury stuff last year, like a lot of hamstring injuries. If he is healthy, I think he's a 25-plus home run bat. Um. Yeah, I think there there are a lot of fun home run uh, bets late in in drafts this year, like Joey Gallo in Minnesota. Yep. Um. No. Uh. So, I mentioned that the uh, target field was bad for Max Kepler hitting home runs. It's not bad for lefties in general. It's just bad for players with Kepler's batted ball distribution. It plays like neutral for lefty home runs in general. So, and anyway, Gallo has enough power to hit the ball out of any ballpark. But we're hoping that Gallo can recover from his disaster season, get back to like a 200 batting average, and get back to hitting tanks. Uh, there's Nolan Jones as a more of a draft and hold play in Colorado. Yancey talked about him last week on episode 69. You know, he's got monster power and he's in Colorado. So if he does get an opportunity, you're going to want to keep an eye on that. There is Trace Thompson in L.A. who had kind of a wild year, but everyone is like, it's Trace Thompson. That won't happen again. Yeah. But also it's the Dodgers. Like who like I, I if, it, if it's going to happen twice, if lightning is going to strike twice like that for, you know, for any team, uh, it, why not them? Trace Thompson was basically Joey Gallo last year. He struck out a ton. Whenever he hit the ball, he hit it really, really hard. Will that approach work again? Will hitter will will pitchers adjust? Can't say right now, but he's being drafted so late. He's being drafted. Uh, where is it? He's being drafted close to four fifty. So you know, basically free. Why not take that chance if you're looking for home runs late in a draft? And then, uh, like we talked about before, there's Juan Yepes in that trio of Cardinals outfielders. 
he's currently slotted in as a the the leading dh so you know if he gets those plate appearances i i want a piece of him on my team love that yeah all right okay so for stolen bases uh i'm gonna read off obviously the garrett mitchell is the one that i talked about previously uh miles straw uh batting average was in, took a huge nosedive from 2021 to 2022 which was obviously very disappointing for a lot of fantasy owners thinking that they could get a solid uh average bat with a ton of stolen bases out of straw still stole a decent amount of bases but gosh that hurt because he didn't really provide a whole lot else um there's Bubba Thompson though as well in terms of stolen bases is probably going to put up a decent amount again this year Uh, I threw down Trent Grisham too uh which is like he'd be like a 15-15 type guy uh obviously that's another person where the average isn't going to help you very much and he's batting near the bottom of that order uh in San Diego so it's Maybe not the best ballpark necessarily either, um, but he will get regular playing time. Uh, Leody Tavares is another one. I know this is one that Shrubsy liked quite a bit, um, and if I hadn't put it down, I know he probably would have. It's like there, there's like six obvious stolen base guys after 300, and then yeah. after that, it's all like complete dart throws, and you know Tavares is one of those six. Uh, and then the last one I put is someone that I think Trubzy was high in as well, Jose Siri. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm slightly less. Uh, I'm slightly lower on Siri right now than I was like a day or two ago, because I made the the mistake of looking at Jose Siri's player page on Pitcher List. So player pages on Baseball Savant and player pages on Pitcher List show much different stats. I prefer the ones that are on PitcherList, both because I, I am a company man and because they show different information that is a, a little more useful for predicting, I think. And my God, I have never seen a worse player page than Jose Series. I still think he's going to run every opportunity he gets, but I am now a lot more concerned about his playing time. This is a guy who I would monitor closely in spring training, and if it if he's playing well in spring training and it looks like he's lined up to get starts once April rolls around, I would invest more heavily than, you know, if, if it looks like he's not going to get playing time. Because the Rays do have a healthy Manny Margot, and Margot brings a lot of the same things to the table. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm less high on Siri than I was, but I do think that if Siri's going to get playing time, that he should be rostered everywhere just because of the speed that he's going to bring. All right, and then lastly, runs plus RBIs. We kind of lump these together because, I mean, I know a lot of other people do this as well. Um, just it's, re- it's really just, are you a cromulent hitter, and do you have a regular lineup spot? Yes, it's a, it's a good good way to calculate that. So, like, Mark Hanna is another one that we put down here. He should, like, if he starts regularly like he did last year, like 130 plus runs plus RBIs is not even close to out of the question. And that's, I'd say, fairly rare down here. Um, honestly, Andrew McCutcheon was one that I threw down because he's going to be hitting like fifth in that lineup uh, behind some halfway decent hitters. Uh, I don't think the home runs are going to be as prominent, obviously. Like he still hit like double digit home runs. I think he's probably going to be like right around like 10 to 12 this year for home runs. I don't think he's going to get that many. But if he plays like 120, 130-ish games this year, like runs plus RBIs, he should be right around that total too, like 120 to 130. Uh, 
so I do like Kutch a decent amount. Uh, I also like Enrique Hernandez. Uh, the multi-position eligibility in Boston, obviously always very good. Having that second base eligibility as well is great. Um, he's going to accumulate. That's that's pretty much, pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, he did have some health issues last year. Is healthy coming into this season. I do like him as well. You know who could be a really fun run accumulator while still going 15-15? And Ooh. very few people are talking about him at this point. TJ Friedel on the Reds. Oh, God. I forgot about TJ Friedel. He's currently slotted in, in on roster resource as the leadoff hitter for the Reds. I don't know if he deserves that or if he will hold on to that role, but I, I know I've said this before on the podcast, the leadoff hitter for basically every team in baseball is worth rostering. Uh, and and Friedel has power, has speed. If he's hitting at the top of the lineup, he becomes really interesting, especially in that ballpark. Uh, it it almost doesn't matter how bad the team is. It's just it just comes down to role and environment at that point. Um, and for RBIs, I started to mention this earlier. I kind of like whoever wins the playing time battle between David Peralta and Chris Taylor. Their ADPs are wildly different. But, you know, the Dodgers made a point to sign David Peralta. They don't think he's washed. I don't think he's washed. He just, for for whatever weird reason, stopped elevating the ball when he went to Tampa Bay last year. I thought he was, I I was really excited when he went to Tampa Bay. I thought, uh, I thought he'd be a fun addition to that team, but he just suddenly stopped hitting for power. Now he's on the Dodgers. His, he's going to be part of a good lineup. So I, you know, if you're in the 500s uh, ADP-wise and you're looking for a, a hitter to fill out your bench that might be a good accumulator, I think Peralta is, is a good one there. Yeah, I dig that one too, actually. Um, and obviously I don't want to speculate on like people being hurt and like sounding hopeful that they're hurt or anything like that. Um, just pointing out that like uh, Chris Taylor did have a lot of back problems last year, and there is a concern health wise with him. I hope that he's obviously coming into the season healthy. Um, but I think Peralta, if healthy, I mean, also that's just like an awesome park to find yourself in. Like Dodger Stadium is a very, at least for home runs, yes, specifically, a very uh, positive park in terms of park factors uh, by Statcast. So. I, I like that too. That was a really good one to call out, Schwebs. Um, is there anyone, anyone else you want to call out for any position or for any uh, category contributors? Yes, but I just got the five-minute warning from my wife for dinner via text message, so that will have to wait till future episodes. All right, that's gonna be this. Got, week's episode gotta the gotta deal. keep them coming back. Gotta give gotta give them a, give them a little uh, ending like, on a like cliffhanger. A, next yeah, episode, yeah. You will find out what Schwebs he had for dinner. Uh, it's. Uh, it's chicken nuggies. It's dino chicken nuggies with ranch. Also, guys, I got a dog. I'm so psyched. Oh, how do we not? How did we not talk about that at the top of the Be, episode? Because you didn't kick it to me with the usual Schwebsy. How you doing? What's going on with you? And so I didn't have the opportunity oh. to say it then. So I got to say it now. I got a dog. He's he and he's the love of my life now. Sorry, wife. Can you can you can you uh can you please tell the the audience what your dog's name is? Oh, my dog's name is uh Tater Tot. Because we were going to go with potato because I just want to call him tater because of home runs. And 
you know, and he's also brown, so he looks like a little potato. But uh, we we've changed that to tater tot because it's cuter. Uh, he as he as he ages and gets bigger, we might we might change his name from tater tot to potato. That's yet to be determined. Just call him Spud. Spud, that's a good one. Spud's a uh, good one. I should have recommended that earlier. I don't know if it works with tater though. A tater is a spud. Eh, sure, yeah. But potato, potato, right. tomato, potato, tomato. All right, that's gonna be this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. Uh, we will be back next week with, I believe, what is it? Oh God, what episode are we doing next? Seventy-one, the one after seventy. No, but what what position are we doing? Oh, uh, I don't know. Figure we'll figure it out. It's a surprise. We'll find out next week on In the Deep. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.